This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to another edition of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. And I am your host, John Bon Jovi. Well, okay. I'm not John Bon Jovi, but imagine if I was. That would be so exceptionally, exceptionally cool. But uh, speaking of Bon Jovi, today on the show from the one, the only, the mighty, and yes, I said mighty, so just, you know, deal with it. Uh, the mighty Bon Jovi. It is guitarist Phil X. In fact, it is Canadian guitarist Phil X. He has a new album for his band Phil X and the Drills called Stupid Good Looking Things Volume 1. And on the other side of that, I have got from Jet Boy, Billy Rowe. And they have a new album out called Born to Fly. came out earlier this year. Now, the the Billy interview is a couple of months old, and I'll explain why. Billy had said to me, hey, man, uh, uh, Phil's got this album coming out. He'd love to do an interview. Let me hook you up. And he tried, and then Phil had to fly somewhere, and then they had to go to Nashville to start the Bon Jovi record, and then he had to do this. And then uh, anyway, the interview kept not happening, and I kept saying to Billy, listen, I'm going to do this episode where I'll put you and Phil because the Bon Jovi fans, God bless them, and I include myself in that, uh, are rabid. They will see an interview and they'll they'll listen and they'll share and they'll analyze and and if you're on that episode, it'll be good for Jet Boy. And so here we are, uh, a couple of months later, uh, in Billy's case, but uh, Born to Fly, it is absolutely absolutely a great rock record. So do do check that out. And if the fi- fine folks at M3 are listening, do invite Jet Boy back because they are a great band live. But uh, let me get over to, uh, well, speaking of live, by the way, recently I have seen, as you know from last week, Judas Priest in Albany and more recently Avantasia in Montreal. The show was just packed, which is unbelievable. Uh, 2,300-seater, uh, the M. Tellus. And the good thing about this thing is that um, they brought out Eric Martin from uh, Mr. Big. They brought out Jeff Tate, uh, formerly of Queensryche, uh, Ronnie from Pretty Maids, uh, the, the Bob Catley from Magnum. And it is just a spectacular show. Now, uh, from what I saw, they're doing Montreal, they're doing Worcester Mast, and they're flying off to Mexico. So I don't know if they're doing a lot of shows in North America, but I certainly understand now when they play the Wacken or the Wacken Festival in Germany, why 90,000 people show up and scream. Spectacular show. So if you do not know Avantasia, go check out their albums. It is, um, well, you know, it's a little bit of everything. It, it's symphonic metal. It's rock. They have a song called uh, Dying um, for an Angel with Klaus Mine of the Scorpions. That song. Uh, forget that Klaus is on it and thus automatically makes it cool. That song is just spectacular. So so do check that out. But let's get over to, uh, let's not do too much talk-ups tonight, uh, today. Uh, as you can tell, my voice is on its last uh, stand. Let us get over to Phil X uh, from Phil X and the Drills. The album is Stupid Good Lookings, Volume 1. And, um, oh, well, in fact, I'm going to add this. I know there's a debate out there about whether Richie Sambora should be in Bon Jovi or not. The fact is, we love Richie Sambora. I mean, who doesn't? Absolutely iconic riffs and, and melodies and sounds that he contributed to Bon Jovi. But if Richie can't be there, Phil is doing an absolutely bang-up job. And I got to say, and this might be an unpopular opinion, but if Richie 
were ever to come back, they were ever to be, you got to keep Phil. It's got to be Richie and Phil in the band because it would just be absolutely spectacular. And, and I don't know how they would want to arrange it, if they would be doing, you know, doubling of chords or if everybody would be, you know, like, you know, they had Bobby Bandiera and other little other guys on the side. Whatever it is, Phil cannot leave Bon Jovi. He is absolutely spectacular in the band. And that's no disrespect to Richie. And if Richie does come back, which, you know, listen, between you, me and the fence post, probably never going to happen. But if he does, you got to keep Phil. I can just imagine the power that that would be of having those two guys on stage. Anyway, uh, kudos to Richie for all, all he contributed to the Bon Jovi legacy. And kudos to Phil for what he is contributing to the Bon Jovi legacy. So uh, there we go. On that, here he is, the one, the only... Guitarist Phil X. We are speaking with guitarist Phil X, of course, of Phil X and the Drills, and a band that some people may have heard of, I, I don't know, called Bon Jovi, but the uh, the new album is called Stupid Good Lookings Volume 1, and let me, uh, good day, Phil, by the way, just, we'll start with hello. How you doing, Mitch? Good. What's doing, happening? Not much. Uh, doing great. Um, you know what? I, I'm, I mentioned this just off air before, but I'm going to mention it again. Uh, last night in Montreal, I saw Hailstorm. I had a nice interview with Lizzie. Uh, and of course, back in 2009, you added your talent to their first album, Hailstorm, their debut album. Yeah. So let, let, let me just get a quick comment on, on Lizzie and stuff, uh, just because it's fresh, and then we'll, we'll get on to the, uh, to the album. But isn't she one of the most terrific Forget artists, just human beings that you've ever been around. She is so incredibly nice and energetic and effervescent and just keep going with the positive adjectives. Yeah, she's fantastic. She she truly is. And she's also a goddamn rock star. She is so, um, like I, I, I do, you know, uh, Twitter Q&A every time I'm in an airport with the fans. And uh, somebody said, hey, who's your famous who's your favorite female vocalist and i just i don't even have to think it's lizzie she's amazing she really is and of course uh folks who uh, who follow me know that i'm a big uh, alice cooper fan and a big uh, toto fan and so on that album uh, tommy Hendrickson and trevor lukather the uh, son of steve had a part in writing a song on that anyway uh let us get yeah, that's amazing yeah, isn't it? Let, let us get to Phil X and the Drill Stupid Good Lookings Volume 1. First of all, you have got a collection of musicians on there that is just fantastic. Abe L'Oreal Jr. You've got uh, Brent Fitz and, and Mark Torian from uh, Bullet Boys. Uh, talk to me about putting together this album and sort of stepping away from the Bon Jovi gig? Because it's easy for you to just sit back and say, I'll just wait for John to call. We'll go do a tour. We'll go do an album. <laughs> right? I mean, financially, everything's no, fine. It's, it's, it's not easy to say that. Okay. I mean, I think when you're a true artist, everybody strives <clears throat> to create more canvases. You know, the, the Bon Jovi thing is one canvas, and then the drills is another canvas. Obviously, I go deeper into the the material with, with, um, with the drills. Cause I write all the songs. So it's an important, um, I think it's, you, we all need form of expression. So when I get to play with, uh, the drills and it's in front of like 200 people, you know, they're my lyrics and, 
the notes I chose for the melody and the, and the stupid riffs I try, I, I invent that I have to sing over, which is like doing math when I'm on stage. But, you know, then the next week I'll be in front of 60,000 people in the stadium. So it's pretty, it's a pretty good uh, way to express myself. It really is. Now, when you write songs for Phil X and the Drills, is it very specific to a certain sound and a certain it has to be this way? Or are these songs that you think, OK, I'm going to bring them over to John and see if he wants them and if he doesn't want them. And I don't want to suggest that they're leftovers in, in, in any way, shape or form, because that's disrespectful. But you know what I mean? Like, do you, do you write songs and say, I'm going to bring this to the machine to, to Bon Jovi? And if they don't take it, I'll go do something with them. Or do you sit down and go, now it's time for Phil X and the Drills. And now I'm going to write for this. Well, you know, and I've written with other people as well, and I just, I just know what a drill song is when it's when it comes out, just lyrically, uh, melodically, guitar-wise, everything coming out of me is a drill song, until I say, wait a minute, this is too left or too right. Um, I don't think anything I write for the drills could be submitted for another artist. I don't think anybody could deliver the, the lyrics that I write the way I deliver the lyrics. It's because um, I, I've always loved uh, read between the lines, kind of tongue in cheek uh, form of uh, words coming out of my mouth, sort of, you know what I mean? It's kind of like a, uh, it's a ribbon of, of just interpretation. I always, people are like, Hey, what did this line mean? And, uh, and I'm like, I'd rather you figure it out. You know, it's open to interpretation. It's, it's that kind of lyric that I really like, as opposed to there's no, there's no interpretation required in, in a Bon Jovi lyric. It's like black and white in your face. This is what it means. we got bills to pay. <laughs> right. Tommy and Gina. Now, okay. So let me ask you this. It, it does say volume one, you know, down in the bottom of the corner. And, and there was this, mm-hmm understanding from what I've read in the media and stuff that volume two is sort of dependent on how well this does or so, so how do you measure? Sort oh, of no, the, no, no. Okay. Oh, no, no, it's, it's nothing like that. Um, we, we started recording this in, um, in, uh, we started recording this in 2014 and because, um, you know, I became a dad in 2013 and just wanted to have a lot of daddy time. And then my daughter was born and, uh, you know, like three years ago. So it's just been, it's been juggling the daddy thing. And when John calls and says, Hey, we're doing a record. Hey, we're doing a tour. Hey, we're doing another tour. So everything got kind of put on the back burner, which is understandable. But at the same time, I needed to get this done. And at the same time, the industry has changed so much. When you have a fan base, every content is king but not all at the same time. So by the time we were done this, we have 14 drummers on this record, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a bad uh, um, forum these days to release an entire record with 14 drummers on it. So that's why we divided it into volumes. Like um, on volume two, we have, uh, and this is going to come out in the fall too. This is the plan. We Tommy Lee, we got Ray Luzier from Corn. We have uh, Jeremy Spencer from Five Finger Dead Punch. We have Liberty DeVito from Billy Joel. Like, I mean, there's going to probably be even a volume 
three will keep going. It's it's just a drum fest. Wow, that, that's great. And, and of course, Jeremy has uh, recently sort of retired from touring with Five Finger. But okay, let, let me ask you this. Um, just pull he, it. And wait, wait, wait. He was, he, he was actually the first drummer in the drill. Oh, okay. That's right. That's right. And, and of course, yeah, going uh, back to- I was just going to say, and of course, Liberty, you did the, um, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the movie all of a sudden. My mind's blanking. Uh, um, uh, Hired Guns. Hired Guns. Correct. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. You have worked a lot with American Idol artists or uh, alumni, including Kelly yeah. Clarkson and including uh, Daughtry and stuff. Talk to me about that a little bit. Are, are you sort of on American Idol's speed dial where they have a band ready and when the artist is ready, they say, OK, we're gonna... <laughs> how does how does that work? What sort of the connection there? It was Howard Benson. Uh, Howard Benson fell into the the. <clears throat> and I, I don't mean any disrespect. I, he's a hotshot producer, and because uh, he he knows uh, he knows how to produce, man. So when uh, he, he when we did the Daughtry record, that was the first one in 2006, I believe. That was the first American Idol uh, artist, and and we just nailed it. And then and then they went to him. And said, "Hey, we we need to do some Kelly Clarkson songs, or an Adam Lambert tune, or there was a, there's a few other artists as well. But I'm his I'm his guy, you know. When he needs a guitar player, he calls me. So it's nice to be in his phone book. And um, I'm really proud of the Daughtry record. It became a calling card. It's uh, we really did something special with Chris and uh, and that first record. I still hear it in the mall." Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and he's doing great touring uh, all over the states and so. Okay, it's so tell, it totally, totally is. How do you get then in Howard Benson's you know little black book of guys to call? Because you know you're a guy from Canada. You, you did stuff with Triumph. You you did some. You toured a little bit with Aldenova. You know, in Canada, being Canadian myself, sometimes it's a little insular. You know, we, we, we just sort of stay amongst each other. Ask Honeymoon Suite or Helix or Killer Dwarves about that. How how did you yeah. get to? How do you get your name in there? If I'm if somebody's listening to me now and they're you know not Phil X but they're Phil Y and they want to have your kind of career uh, playing on you know Alice Cooper albums and Method of Mayhem albums and Rob Zombie albums and what what was sort of the key to your success? I think uh, being a cool dude. <laughs> well, I won't disagree. I, I, no, I do. I do. Think, well, you have to deliver. You have to be a cool dude. And you have to deliver. Like, I mean, the first big session that I did, I moved to Los Angeles in 97. And uh, it was in 99 that I was working on Method of Mayhem with Tommy Lee, with uh, uh, producer Scott Humphrey. And I was, I was painting the garage. They were turning the garage into a drum room. And I was, I was in there painting. And they needed guitar. And it's like, hey, Phil plays. Let's get him on this. And what I, what I tell people is, you know, I picked up the guitar and started recording and Tommy was like, dude, you got to play on the whole record. So if I had walked in and not delivered, I would have been back to painting and not recorded another note. So, I mean, I believe it's hard work. I believe you have to work your ass off to get to a point where your ear is super developed and you can walk in and you're very musical and you know where the chorus has to climb and, you know, come up with little bits for the verses and, and a cool bridge. 
it's it's about you're almost writing, but you're not writing. Obviously, you don't get like a writing credit, but your your job is to make the song as the best it can be as a guitar player. So that I walked in with that attitude, and I could deliver. And then I think my work it, it just started getting around. Like you, you know, Rob Zombie walks in and says, "Hey, I love what you're doing on Tommy's record. Do you want to play on my next record?" And then you're playing on Rob's next record, and he's like, "Hey, did Alice call you? I gave Alice Cooper your number last week." And then you're playing on Alice Cooper's record. And then the Howard Benson thing, it just came from, well, we, we know who the, the, the drummer in town is and we know who the bass player in town is, but who's the guitar player? So they just ask, start asking around and then maybe one or two or 10 sources are like, you got to get this guy, Phil X. And, and I believe that's how it happens. You, it's networking and just if you deliver every time you walk into a studio with the musical ideas that everybody requires, then yes, your name is going to travel in circles. And when it hits the big circle, then you're, you're doing good. <laughs> you're, you're, you're doing real good, in fact. So um, quickly just talk to me about this. The, the, the famous date in April, uh, April 2nd, 2013, uh, you, you you get a call to come to, I guess, the Saddle Dome in Calgary, and they say you've got to replace. Uh, what was that like? Had you Did you know the parts well? Because I know you had done some replacement before, but, you know, muscle memory, you lose stuff sometimes. What yeah. was that, that moment like where you go, oh, you know, S-H-I-T, I, I, I'm in. You know, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Well, it's, it's, it wasn't exactly like that. I mean, in 2011, I did... Uh, I spent a lot of time learning a two and a half hour Bon Jovi show. And then I did have to step in, in uh, May of 2011 because Richie went into rehab. And then when he came out, he went back on the tour and I went home and that, that was it. So this is two years later, 2013, around the same month, almost exact. And I haven't played a Bon Jovi note in two years. I haven't sang a Bon Jovi lyric in two years. Because, you know, when you do something like that, you go out and people are like, hey, can you play some Bon Jovi songs? And I'm like, I just played a bunch of Bon Jovi songs with Bon Jovi. Why would I let this go on YouTube with a cover band and a, you know, and a dive? You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. So, so I, I have the respect for the band. I have a respect for the fans. I, even, I have respect for Richie Sambora, man. He co-wrote some of the best rock songs of my youth. So... I, uh, getting the call, it wasn't like, put me in coach. It was more like, oh man, I don't know if I can do this. And even John was like, hey, not only do I need you to play tonight, but we just put out a new record and you have to learn three new songs for the show. And I was like, buddy, you probably don't hear no a lot, but no, I can't. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend the flight revisiting what I already knew two years ago for the show tonight. And then, and then he goes, okay, that's cool. Just learn three new songs for tomorrow in Edmonton. And you know, that's how that machine goes. Right. Um, and of course, if you so, screw up in Edmonton, nobody notices. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that's kidding. Funny. I'm kidding. Uh, we love Edmonton, <laughs> except the Oilers. So, but right? right. But the cool, well, I, I didn't make the Calgary show because, um, they, uh, there was, I got to the plane, uh, at the time I was working with Howard Benson on Scott Stapp's solo record. 
So I had recorded six songs and then I had to disappear. So they had to get somebody else to finish the record. But I was on a plane and my, my tech landed to Howard's studio to grab all my guitars and bring them to the plane. And then they say, hey, the plane's not working. We're going to switch planes. It's going to take an hour. And then that took an hour. And then they go, hey, did they tell you that this plane is slower than the last plane? And I'm like, what does that mean? Well, the other plane would have got you there in two and a half hours. This is going to take you three and a half to probably miss the show. And I'm like, that's okay. That's fine. That's, that's good. And then, um, so I arrived, this ain't thank you. Good night. And then I had the night to, to, um, continue preparing. And then when I showed up at soundcheck in Edmonton, then it was like, John's like, what do you need to run? Let's do it right now. And then that was it. It's the end of the fray. And, and right to a, a sold out, uh, arena. Um, let me let me get off of Bon Jovi for a second here. Let's go to Edge of Excess, the uh, the Triumph record, um, back in uh, when was oh that? my lord ninety two. You you know so let, let's look at this. You come into I'm gonna just go back to Bon Jovi for a second. You replace Richie Sambor, which a lot of people uh, credit as being okay. Well, the, the, let's let's but, yeah. But, let's say let's say hold on. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off, but replace is a hard word for me. You know what I mean? Substitute like for the first bunch, for the first yeah, it's a sub, fill in, that kind of thing. Um, it, it later, I just still it's still weird because later when when I see my face on the shirt, on the last two tours, it's kind of like oh right, that's me. So, but it's a, it's a weird word. I know what you're saying, but I, let me I'm finish your question. I'm sorry I cut you off. Yeah, and by and by the way, we'll talk about being in the pictures before because you, McDonald, who's absolutely essential to Bon Jovi for years. When they did pictures, they left him out, and then in the last couple of years, you've all started appearing, and and it's been like, ah, okay, now they're saying this is the band. And anyway, that's how I perceive it, maybe wrongly, but but all right, uh, Edge of Excess. Um, uh, uh, what was I going to say? Michael Levine or Levine and Gil Moore, of course, say we're going to make a record, and the fans go great, but. Rick has left and you know Rick Emmett is is one of Canada's most uh, revered guitarists and stuff and they say okay we're going to bring in and 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 I mean this respectfully but a rookie cuz you were at back then it was very much you know beginning of your career what was that like and what was the pressure cuz you're not just stepping into and and I mean no disrespect but you're not just stepping into honeymoon suite or you're not just stepping into the killer dwarves you're stepping into triumph that have toured and done stadiums and done arenas and you're replacing Rick Emmett, who for a lot of people is triumph. Um, right. Right. And, and, and that's, that's perfectly okay to say. So, so what was that pressure like? What did they tell you, Mike and, and Gil come to you and they say, we need you to be Rick jr. Or we need you just to be Phil. Just what was that whole experience like other than just, man, that was I was wacky. Well, it, it was kind of wacky. It, and it's, it's the, the part of the story that is, uh, interesting is they, they actually asked me as I was leaving for the blood, the blood on the brick tour with, uh, Aldenoga. And I sat with Gil and I said, look, I just committed to touring for the next year with Aldenoga. And Gil said, well, if we don't find a guy, it's yours when you get back. And I mean, you know, it's one of those things because I, I was touring with Canadian bands, Frozen Ghosts before that. 
And I, I met Mike Levine at a Q107 broadcast. Remember Q107 in Toronto? I do. I, Where, we met at a, I think a Kim Mitchell had a show there for a while, or still still does, had he, a show. He did. Right. So he, so I was talking to Mike, and, <clears throat> and this is, I'm like, Mike, how's it going? I'm so. He goes, yeah, I know who you are. And I'm like, well, nice to meet you. How's it going looking for a new guitar player? He goes, well, every time we ask around, people always bring you up. So we should talk. <laughs> it was kind of like that. And then, um, and the funny thing was, is I was like, wow. So I'm doing Frozen Ghost, and then I do Aldenoba, and then, and then I'm in the throes of recording a Triumph record. And so, you know, they have a thing. So my thing isn't really a Triumph thing out of the gate. It has to be molded um, by me. And, you know, Mike was producing. Um, and uh, so he could, you know, he would come in and he goes, wow, that's, that's pretty crazy. That's a, uh, it's good, but it's not really Triumph. <laughs> so then I would remold into a, a different Phil X to fill that spot. And I, I think that's uh, I think that's a lot of, of how it goes. I even tell people in Bon Jovi, I don't go Phil X. I go this because there's Richie on the left and me on the right, and this guy in the middle who I have yet to name in the middle shows up and, and delivers the goods every night. Well, he can be he can be Phil Y. But all right, uh, jokes aside, um, <laughs> we we did mention Calico Cooper and Alice Cooper and all that just before. You did play on Brutal Planet, which is. I guess Alice's foray into sort of a dark, heavy metal, because I, I don't consider Alice to be heavy metal, but um, you yeah. are a session musician on that. So so what does that mean in the context? Does it mean you played half a note on one song and you got a credit, or does it mean that from Brutal Planet all the way down to uh, Can't Sleep, Clowns Will Eat Me, you are in there somewhere? Are you, you know, Are you on all 12 tracks, or are you just... Hey, I played on Gimme a little bit. What, what's what's the story with the Alice Cooper Brutal Planet thing? That was exciting because it was funny because I actually didn't meet Alice until last year because he wasn't around. Uh, Bob Marlette was the producer. And basically, um, so when Rob Zombie gives your number to Alice Cooper, Alice Cooper calls his producer and says, Rob says we should get this guy on our new record. And the producer's like, Never heard of him, but you're the boss, so I'll call him in to, you know, maybe play on a couple of things. But, again, when you deliver, the producer goes, holy shit, can you come back Friday? I got another nine songs to play on. <laughs> so that's anything that you hear that is um, from the blue, I, I, can't, I can't recall the titles of the songs, but there's one that almost has some blues licks in it, and there's the heavy, overdubby, quirky stuff is me on that whole record. Well, so so you're you're all the way through. That's interesting because you know at the time they had well they still they still have Ryan Roxy, but so so yeah. you're 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 guitarist number two on that on the entire thing. That's actually very cool because that's that is a much revered uh, album among uh, Cooper fans. As hey, that was a nice turn for Alice. So that that's great to hear. Um, recently. You were well, Bob, Bob Marlette actually. Bob Marlette actually played all the rhythm guitars on it. Oh, really? The producer. 
Oh, yeah. Wow. So and in, in, in fact, that's how he tried to get me. He tried to, I don't know, he tried to get me to cower in the corner, maybe. <laughs> so he could send me home. That's so funny. he's like, hey, so so I played all the rhythm guitars on the bass. I need some pixie dust. Go. And he just pressed record. And I heard this riff, and, and it was brutal playing at the song. And I just went into this crazy thing for the intro. And he goes, wow, that was great. Double it. So it was kind of like that. Wow, that that is awesome, and and I know we're 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 running we're going to run short on time, so I'm going to move around a little mo- bit more. Earlier this year, you got to play and sing with Uli John Roth, and oh, yeah. uh, and Rudolf Schenker, and um, uh, um, the drummer. I'm forgetting the drummer's name. Uh, 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 Leonard. Ru- Ru- Rudy Leonard. Rudy yeah, Leonard. Rudy Leonard. And um, a couple of months ago, or about a month ago, I was sitting with Uli on his bus discussing you and this, and and he had so many great things to say about you, about how you handled the songs, and and how he he heard about you and saw you and had to fly you out, and so you know, listen, you're a rock fan, like I'm a rock fan. What's it like to be in the middle of Japan with? Uli, a guitar god on one side, Rudolph, a guitar god on the other side, singing, you know, uh, those Scor- those Scorpion songs, and and having those guys do a version of "Send Me an Angel." That what was that like? It was, um, it, it, it's still kind of surreal. I because I, I have pictures in my phone that people sent me. This is me standing beside, standing in between the two dudes, Rudy. And Uli, which I was a huge fan of that lineup when I was a kid. Like Uli was my hero when I was 16. And I, I, I had those records I had in Tramp and I had Virgin Killer. And even before it happened, you mean, it's, it's almost like getting a text from God. <laughs> it's going way out there. But you're, if you haven't gone to Japan yet, you're going about your day. And you get a text from Uli John Roth saying, hey, how about singing Virgin Killer? <laughs> I mean, really? All. Right. So it, it, I'm it's like, terrific. Oh, I'm, like, I'm like, I just hit him back and go, done. You know, it's, it's amazing. So I'm out there and not, not, only is, not only is playing with those guys uh, served up on a platter of incredibleness, um, but hanging backstage and talking to Rudy, and talking to Uli, and they, they probably, it was a reunion for them. I don't think they, they've seen each other in a really long time, and they they were talking. I don't know if I like the picture of the three of us on a couch backstage laughing, or the picture on stage making music. It's it's like a draw. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. So, so for, for you know, and Uli Roth, he has a very... Uh, he, he's a very, there's no poker face. He tells you exactly what he's feeling. And he came up to me and he goes, Hey, what you played in all along the watchtower tonight, watchtower tonight was, and you're looking at his, his face going, Oh no, it's not good. And he goes, it was perfect. And I'm like, damn dude, why you got to string me along like that with that face? So it was, it was pretty uh, awesome to be, uh, thrown into that whole thing. It was, uh, you know, it's like it, it, catch your train, man. I learned that when I was 16. And here I am singing it with the band that recorded it, minus, minus Francis, the bass player. But it was, uh, 
And not only that, um, I think I was warming up. I was singing, coming into the dressing room, which had a corner. And as I came around the corner, Rudolph goes, hey, can you do that one more time? I'm like, do one more, what one more time? He's saying catch a train coming into the dressing room so I can film it and send it to Klaus. He'll totally love it. I'm like, it's every moment was like, oh man, how am I going to remember all this stuff? I need to document, I need to start, I need to find a film crew to follow me wherever I go if this is the stuff that's going to happen. Oh, and, and I loved it. I, I've watched those YouTube videos many times because it's just great performances. And uh, we will uh, we will finish on this. Uh, you had a chance, of course, to to put your stamp on uh, This House Is Not For Sale, the, that bon, the first Bon Jovi album, I guess, to officially have you. Great album, by the way. Um, man, the uh, Roller Coaster, uh, Knockout, um, Reunion. I mean, just, just some great stuff. And some of the, the bonus tracks, if you want. Uh, we Don't Run, Color Me In. I just love that stuff. Um, what was it like yeah. to, to, to be on that? And then just quickly uh, finish off with, uh, tell me a little bit about what's going on with the new album. We see a lot of stuff on Instagram. You're in Nashville with John Shanks, and, and, and you're flying in and out of all these different places. Um, yes. Just, just quickly tell me about the, the, that first experience well, and the next experience. The this house is not for sale was more of a uh, a last a last minute thought. Like John and John, I think the record was pretty much recorded, and then John Bon Jovi decided that okay, you can't a rock band can't be a singer, a drummer, and a keyboard player. So let's get Phil and Shoe in the photos, in the videos, on the jacket, on the album jacket, all that stuff. But if we're going to do that, we need to get Phil to New York pronto and get him on at least four songs. So that's what happened there, which was, you know, the first time in the studio it was like, wow, this is, and then, you know, he kind of let me loose. Uh, I was really proud of a few of the things that I did. There was one song um, called uh, Born Again Tomorrow, where he, go, he goes, I just want, I want you to rip. So I got to rip, which was awesome. And then on, on this current record, um, this is the first record where I'm actually involved from the ground up. We were laying down beds in Nashville for about 10 or 11 days. And, uh, and now we're doing overdubs. And there might be more songs recorded for the record as well. But this is the first time doing this. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Yeah, and let me tell you, tracking down all the different bonus tracks and stuff was was quite an adventure, but I, I managed to get it done. Um, so when do you see the next album coming out, do you think? Is that something that we're looking at maybe th third or fourth quarter this year, or is it a 2020 release? I'm going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever works, works. Know. You don't know. Whatever works for the band. Whatever is... You know, John has a plan. He's, I've never seen, I've never seen a man with a plan so focused. It's like, he knows what's going to happen. And sometimes I'm the last to find out. It's like, <clears throat> you know, everybody, fans are like, hey, I can't wait to see you in Rock and Rio. I'm like, wait, that was 2017. No, you're doing it again this year. I'm like, well, actually, let me know. <laughs> You know, it's working. And, and uh, listen, uh, I, I, I will admittedly say I, I love Richie Sambor, but I love you in, in Bon Jovi as well. The, the band to me oh, is, is the band's doing you're doing as great as as, you know, um, last time you were in Montreal, there was two shows. I went to both. And if you had done four shows, I would have gone to all four. 
just I oh, thanks man yeah and uh we'll remind Actually, the, the second the second the second uh montreal show was probably my favorite i think it, it feels like even when you tour for for like two or three months it feels like when you get to the end you finally got your stride and we we rocked that last show at montreal it was amazing i loved it I will fully agree, and what I appreciate with Bon Jovi in general is that when they do multiple stands or multiple nights in a city, you don't get a cookie-cutter 15-song set list and, hey, you came yesterday? Well, hello, here we do it again, you know, Groundhog Day. You guys actually have audibles on the set list that you'll pull in and, and throw in because John's feeling it, or you'll change at least four or five songs. So if you go... Yes, of course, you'll get Living on a Prayer. And yes, of course, you'll get You Give Love a Bad Name. But if you didn't get those, you'd be upset anyway. But you give them different stuff. Yeah, and that's that's what's great. It's it's just nice. You know, you, Metallica, Pearl Jam are bands where you can see five shows in a row and still somehow manage to see 30 different songs or something like that. And it's 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 kudos to all the musicians, to, you know, to, 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 to the Eddie Vedders of this world and the John Bon Jovis and the, the Larses. You got to keep it interesting for fans, you know. To... You really do, because there's people go to ten, twenty, thirty, a hundred shows, and it's it's nice to switch it up. But I gotta add before we go, uh, someone asked me on the plane the other day if I get tired of playing "Living on a Prayer," and I have to say I still get goosebumps. But I haven't yes. been there for thirty years, like everybody else. <laughs> well, no, true, and, but but you know what? The other thing mm-hmm. with with uh, Bon Jovi is that yes, they'll play "Living on a Prayer" every single show for the last thirty years. But if you listen to the different mm-hmm. live versions, there's always a little something different, whether it's a little faster or a little slower, or John adds a, a little speech in the middle of it. it. It Bon Jovi has never been cookie cutter, and that is a great compliment to what John and Tico and David and Phil and Richie and Yui and Alec and everybody who stepped into that band, Bobby Bendier, you've managed to make it unique. I mean, for years they were doing a very slow version of runaway. It's, it's not, Oh, here are 15 songs. Let's do this for the next 20 years. And so, so kudos to you. And of course, uh, Phil X and the drills, a stupid, good looking things of volume one, out now, volume two out soon, volume three, hopefully even sooner. Um, Phil, absolute <laughs> pleasure. Absolute pleasure. And, and of course, uh, keep all the Canadian guys going. And uh, we, of course, didn't talk about some of the stuff you did with Our Lady Peace and Avril Lavigne. And, uh, but, hey, as we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup. Absolute pleasure. Uh, you're welcome, man. It was great. Thank you very much. Thank you. And let's, let's do another one soon. You've got something else to come out. Let's, let's keep doing these. I like it. Let's do it. Merci, monsieur. Cheers. Take care, brother. Bye-bye now. Cheers. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk. And a very big thank you to Phil X of Bon Jovi. It has uh, occurred to me that in my career, I've only interviewed two members of Bon Jovi, one being Richie Sambor back in 2018 and the other being Phil X. So I have interviewed original guitarist and the guy who has come in and held the fort uh, remarkably. So I, I, just interesting. Now, back in the day when I used to write for this thing called a Brave Words magazine, there was an interview that appeared with Richie and John penned by Mitch LaFon. And, and here is what's some of the inside trickery of the, of the business. 
what the record companies would do at the time. Uh, they did it with Phil Collins with me and, and John Bon Jovi. And so. They would provide you with a CD with 20 tracks or 10 tracks, whatever, which were just answers. And they would then give you a cheat sheet. So they would give you the questions on a paper. And so what you would do is you would end up on the radio and you'd say, hey, we are welcoming uh, John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora. They've got a new album out called, you know, Crush, whatever. And then you would hit track one and you'd hear, hey, man, yeah, we're glad to be here. Uh, it's, it's a great thing. And uh, anyway, so so what I did, because at the time it was a print medium for me, it wasn't radio. I took this thing and I transcribed the answers as requested. Uh, I was asked to, to transcribe the questions. And so we turned it in. So if you if you look back into the old, old issues of, of this Brave Words magazine, you will see trying to think when it was must have been a boy 2000 2004 something like that. you'll see this interview that appears uh mitch lafon talks to richie sambora and john bon jovi and you know oh well you, you got an interview with the guys and way to go but no i did not uh, get an interview with the guys i had gone out to the um trying to think what it was i guess at the time it might have been called the Corell center in ottawa the arena where the ottawa senators play i think it was the Corell center back then and uh, there was a Bon Jovi show, and I met the uh, Universal rep, and she handed me the CD, and I went home, and I uh, diligently transcribed it, and there, that was my first interview. So, so it's actually nice to get the actual members on the phone to, to discuss uh, what's going on. Anyhow, let us move on to our second guest of the day. It is Billy Rowe, and I will start off by saying this, uh, Billy Rowe of Jet Boy, and I will start off by saying a very, very big thank you to Billy. Uh, the whole thing with Phil X was courtesy of Billy. Um, Billy and, and Phil know each other, and we were talking about doing this interview, and he, and, and he was like, you should talk to, to Phil. He's got this new EP, and, and it would be great. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I don't know how to reach him. And he said, well, here, here's his, his number. His, you know, just text him. And I'll tell him that to expect the text. And then, as you heard in the first part, it went back and forth for a couple of months. Anyway, I kept telling Billy, listen, I'll get this interview out. I'll get this interview out. I want to pair it with Phil X so that, you know, the Bon Jovi fans that listen will will maybe hopefully uh, stay, stay tuned in and, and listen to what Billy has to say. But their new album, which came out earlier this year... Um, I believe it was in January, if I'm not mistaken, is called Born to Fly. It is a very, very honest rock and roll record. So if you like that style, go pick it up. And if you don't, go pick it up anyway and, and learn to discover this style and learn to discover the music and support uh, Billy and Jet Boy. And of course, like I said also at the beginning of the show, you know, every year I go to this festival in Columbia, Maryland called the M3 Festival. It is absolutely the greatest time you will ever have. You've got all these bands from the uh, 80s, early 90s, uh, whatever you want to call it, hair metal, glam rock, pure rock, I mean, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't really matter as long as you buy a ticket and go to the show. They, the, the guys, you know, Eric Baker and the guys who throw this festival together, they just throw one hell of a rock and roll party. And, and you, so anyway, you got to check it out. Anyway, listen, enough me. I know it's my show, but there's too much me. Well, at least too much me today because my voice is is walking away. My voice is on strike, but I'm here and I'm I'm surviving. 
but less complaints. Here is from Jet Boy, the one, the only. And you know what? I'm going to add in the mighty Billy Rowe. We are speaking with Billy Rowe of Jet Boy. The new album is Born to Fly. And, uh, you know, Billy, first of all, welcome. But I've got to start off by saying this. I, I listened to the album and I saw that video and I, you know, mm-hmm. and and you're gonna get you're gonna get annoyed at this. I wasn't expecting much. I was like, oh, okay, Jet Boy, I remember them from back in the day. Because you know, in Canada, we didn't see much of you. And then I listened to it, and right. I went, I went, holy fuck, man, this is this is sorry for the language, but like this is like a real rock record. This is job well done, boys. So I'm gonna start off with uh, right. what sounded like not a compliment, but really a compliment. The album is really really well put together it is a fun rock album and, and and it's nice to see a band that's not afraid to just be who they are and just have some fun in 2019 right well that's great that's that that was our you know that was our goal from the get-go do a jet boy record and a good fun rock and roll record but i also get it where there's a lot of people that are going to be like uh oh, jet boy i don't really you know we were part leaders of that pack back in the eighties of, of, you know, GNR poison, LA guns and all that, but we didn't hit the success. And, you know, under the first record, I'll, I'll, you know, admit that we were stirred music industry wise, different directions. I never thought the record really came across the way the band really was live. I would say the second album was more that. So for people to be skeptical by hearing the name and going like, ah, I'll check it out, but whatever, not having big hopes. In a lot of ways, it's kind of cool that they think that way now, and then they put it on and go like, "Whoa, shit! This is a frigging great record," you yeah. know. And that's that's pretty awesome, you know. Yeah. So. Well, you, you you proved me wrong, so so good. That that's the way it should be. I want to be proven wrong, especially well, when it comes to music. So, no. But uh, jokes aside, and 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 that is sucks. I don't want to sound negative. Um, but do talk to me about the process of getting this one out because you haven't had a new album or new music. I mean, you've had, uh, you know, collections and, and live and, but you haven't mm-hmm. really done writing and putting together new songs in, what was it? 20 years, 25 years. Uh, what was the yeah, decision? Long time. Well, yeah. 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 So, uh, what was, uh, uh, make, uh, was it make, uh, make some more noise? No, that that's, that's a compilation, wasn't it? Um, yeah, those, a lot of those are compilations, and, yeah. and we did a, we did an EP in, in twenty ten off your rocker. I had three new right. songs on it. It didn't really see too much, but we haven't we haven't recorded a full length album since you know the last one was the second album, Damnation. That was nineteen ninety, so it's been you know twenty eight years since we've done a full length, and uh, yeah. it so, really happened by just being approached by Frontiers through our booking agent um, Nick over at the label asked. Chuck over at Artists Worldwide. Hey, I see you have Jet Boy on the on your roster. It's like you think they have a new album in them. And he asked me, and I asked Nick and Fern, and we said, "Hell yeah, let's do it." And so it all all this whole process with this record was super organic. It was not no, you know, no hopes to do a record. We were just doing shows and trying to build the band back up that way. Talked about writing some songs and maybe doing something, but. It just, everything came so just natural and just like with no hope or anything that I think that's a big part of why it came out the way it is because we got approached. We said, all right, let's write a record. And we just kind of picked up where we left off. But but then we injected those 28 years 
of what each of us have grown, you know, how each of us have grown as a musician and writer and stuff. So I think that's how Born to Fly pretty much came together. Yeah. And, you know, I think if you look back in almost any band's catalogs, the first album, the second album, there's an innocence and, and there's a sound. And then by the time you get to the third and fourth, you know, the, the record company starts telling them to write singles and they start forcing it. And I think that's why Born to Fly works, because it, it really is just like, oh, all right, there's no pressure. Let's just get in here and do the best we can. So what is now the plan, though, moving forward? I mean, obviously, you've got Chuck and you've got a booking agent, so you're, you're doing live shows. But is it one and done or do you go back to Frontiers in 2020 and say, all right, you got our juices flowing. Let's let's do this again. Is it one and done or beginning of something new? Uh, we want it to be the beginning of something new. I think we're all just completely inspired and like, you know, we finished this record. I mean, once we got writing this record, we were we were like, you know, kind of a little like, oh, shit, we got to write a record now. You know, we we're like going kind of scrambling. But all this material is brand new. And we just, it was the funnest record to, to write and record. And, you know, I'm, I'm already writing ideas for another record. I, I, we want to keep going. I mean, this is, this just proves to us that we can keep going and we still have some gas in the tank to, to play rock and roll and play rock and roll. Yeah. And keep why it going. Not? Why not? So, you yeah. know, yeah. the other thing that I find amazing after all these years is that you've got Mickey, you've got Fernie. So you've got three out of the, three of the four, three out of the five, if you want to say. Um, but talk to me a little bit about Eric Stacy. He is somebody who has spent time in the scene, uh, did Faster Pussycat, a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, what does uh-huh. he bring? Because you had Sammy Yaffa in there. What what does Eric uh-huh. bring to you? Does he bring you sort of that, that sleazy, Faster Pussycat kind of rock? Does he just sort of plug in and play the parts? Like, wh- wh- you know, wh- what's his role for this? <laughs> Uh, well, I thought it was a perfect, perfect match for, you know, especially doing this record and all that. Eric, Eric and I are very similar. I mean, we've all grown up on the same music, but Eric and I can go down rabbit holes of like deep track stuff on, you know, Alice Cooper's Walking My Nightmare and getting into bands like Japan and all that. And just like, you know, where we all could get into that stuff, everybody in the band making Fern as well. But Eric's, Eric's a great bass player and he, really he you know he's a, he's a huge fan of all these bands that we grew up with and and even like i say even deep ones like the babies and you know like i mentioned you nick gilder and stuff like that so i think having someone like that in the process of of doing a record is is huge you know because you're just you just have more to offer you know since you're just so well-rounded of a right. a listener is really what makes you more well-rounded as a player so i, think I agree he, he, he played some he played some great stuff on the record you know now, uh, folks just heard you say Nick Gilder, and of course, we were talking about Canadian bands before we got the tape rolling, so let's go down that mm-hmm. road a bit uh, real quick. We'll do that, and we'll do the Kiss stuff, and then you mentioned Alice Cooper's Welcome to My Nightmare. It is easily the best Alice Cooper album, or at least the best one, the best solo album, but that is brilliant, but... Um, Talk to me about talk to me about these Canadian bands that you like because if I throw a band like Honeymoon Suite out there or Killer Dwarves or uh, mm-hmm. Lover Boy, are those bands that that affected you? Because up here, of course, we were force fed it on radio and TV. Uh, how did you mm-hmm. discover it? Uh, I don't know. I grew up in San Francisco. I grew up in the whole. I was a huge part of that whole. New, you know the. Uh, 
you know, the metal scene and all that happened with Metallica and Exodus. We were all, all these bands, you know, Death Angel, we were all young and, and friends and played the scene. And that's kind of when Jet Boy started. But I was, as a kid, just, I was super into the import section when I got turned on and like the whole British, uh, new wave of British heavy metal stuff. And so I would search import bins. And, and, and a lot of times it was also seen going to shows in the Bay Area. We had Dan the Greens and Bill Graham Presents, always great shows. So I saw, I, I think I saw Cheap Trick and Pat Travers. I want to say, either Coney Hatch opened or, uh, I, I, I don't know. But anyway, I saw Coney Hatch and then just, I just got into it. I was a music fan and anything new. So I got into all that stuff. Lover boy, of course, blew up big. And Nick Gilder was just, I mean, he blew up big with hot child in the city, but I can, I got all those records. He's him and James McCall, the guitar player, I think are the two of my favorite songwriters from that era. Just hands down. Those records are just phenomenal records yeah. and not just city not just city nights you know you know who you are and you know just the frequency just like awesome records and well, i just you know i got deep into that you know april wine you know and you say brian adams and all that i i love all that stuff like so, big time <laughs> i was like super into it let me ask you for sort of the american perspective on canadian music because you know when when i sit here and you can say the british invasion you can say the the new wave of british heavy metal and you go yeah there's a sound you know tigers of pantang and stuff there's a sound and when you say oh, you know yeah. when you say sunset strip you think motley Crue, and you think jet boy and you think you pretty boy floyd and poison you go there's a sound uh I've never considered Canadian music to necessarily have a sound, but maybe it's because it's just too close and, you know, you can't uh, mm -hmm. be objective. Is there a Canadian sound? And, and if so, how would you describe it? Uh, I, I guess for me, I, I, I guess it's different for me because I know they're Canadian bands. I, I Maybe I wasn't so in tune. Oh, these bands are from Canada, you know, when I was a kid, but I put it all together later. But there was there was a sense of a very good rock and roll riffy, uh, element to the to all those bands, but there was a huge pop and super catchy and melodic element, which I think is you you put those two together with a lot of the Canadian bands. I think that's really what they delivered for me. I mean, bands like like I said, Nick Gilder and Prism and Loverboy, Brian Adams. They just had these infectious riffs and choruses and hooks, oh. and they're, they're some of my most influential songwriting. That's I mean, you know, we had Cheap Trick in America. For me as a kid, the ultimate songwriter and pop hooky stuff with great riffs. But in Canada, you guys had quite a bit, you know. Yeah. So, all right, let me ask you about this because you you mentioned also before we started that you were listening to the interview I had done with Tom Worman, and of course, Tom is one of the greatest producers. And all the bands mm -hmm. that bitch it, all the bands that bitch and moan, you know what? Give back the money if you're not happy with what Tom did. Uh, but mm -hmm. I also had I also had Jim Valance on recently, and he's a great songwriter, and he gave us the stories. And he, of course, oh, wrote, yeah. he wrote with Brian Adams. Mm -hmm. For you, mm -hmm. what's sort of your you know secret sauce when it comes to writing? Is there a process? Is it just you wake up and you write down whatever's in the top of your head? Do you do you stress over it for a year? How does how does Jet Boy, and specifically you, come up with a new song? Well, in the old in the old days, it was very much I'd come up with a riff, and then Fern would come up with a riff and bounce off it, and we Mick Mick would write the lyrics and the melodies, which Mick still with Jet Boy writes all the melodies and the lyrics and all that. But nowadays, I got very into songwriters, and I got very into dissecting songs and producers and 
uh, I got into, the, I got the logic program and I'm very into recording. So that was a huge part of this record. So I'll sit down with a riff and I try to just find something that's catchy musically. That's going to be, have that hook and riffy and just have something that you go like, yeah, that feels good. And then just build off of that. And then structure wise, I like, I like, I'm a less is more person. I like simplicity. I like, if you can just hook somebody in with something, somebody, you know, something super simple and infectious that is like to me the hardest thing to do with songwriting so i'll sit down i'll have a riff and i'll play it with a put a drum beat down and play it for a little while and then i just see what kind of spits out of my hands after that and see what comes next and i start just compiling it and arranging it and uh i passionately get super into it i could i could do that all day long <laughs> yeah you know so. it's so i'm gonna ask you this and we're, we're gonna refer to prism and and jim valance the writer when i was interviewing him he said the most important thing in songwriting is the title because he, when you get to the chorus, you want that title. When you hear Highway to Hell, you know the song is called uh-huh. Highway to Hell. Uh, and then he said Drops of Jupiter. They never even say the words Drops of Jupiter. And they had to – is it important that, that the song or the lyric is easily identifiable and that the, the song title and the chorus, you know, when you hear, you know, whatever, Born to Be My Baby, You Give Love a Bad Name, High – how important is title for you? Uh, well, I was never the big, I'm not a huge lyricist writer. I, I have some of my own stuff I have dabbled into, but I'll agree with them. It is important. If you can come up with something that is just like, a, you know, a super wild title where you're like, man, that's just like, it's a hook on its own by just saying it. That's even just more money for you on putting it into the song. And that that's hard as hell to do. That's a challenge, you know. I would love to challenge myself with that more. I would love to sit and write with other people and be challenged those 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 things right there to come up with something because just you just grow from it. I'll have to uh, I'll, I'll have to hook you up with with Jim. He, he's so incredibly nice. But uh, the other thing that I know that that you're very much into is uh, like me is a good old kiss. Uh, you wanted the best. You mm-hmm. got the best. They are currently on the end of the road tour. What do you feel about that? You've also got Ozzy out there who who did a farewell tour, but it's not really a farewell tour. He just says he, you know, Motley Crue did that. Um, mm-hmm. What sort of your your take on bands that call it a day? Should should the music not just sort of go on forever? Well, you know, I guess the well the music will go on forever as we listen to it, and you know, on CD, vinyl, or a track or mp3 <laughs> but as in playing live i don't know i guess everybody kind of sees their uh end of the road for when they're ready to to not do it anymore i think with kiss maybe they're just gonna i i'm assuming musically individually they're gonna do something you know that i would i would think but maybe they just feel as it's time to to hang it up with that i don't know i guess time will tell with this tour you know a lot of these other bands have put it to rest but uh you know motley Crue's still kind of working as a business and they've got the movie coming out i know they recorded some songs so maybe it's just a live thing you know to not tour anymore i don't know so and, and i'm not so, in those shoes to really know what it feels like so you right. know so um, like acd acdc let me let me go with with kiss again um where do you find mm-hmm. yourself being a fan of are are you classic era kiss or are you uh, non-makeup era, makeup kiss, you know, because yesterday, and this I know this is a gratuitous name drop, but I was talking to Ron Nevison yesterday, and and, and of course he has mm-hmm. recorded uh, Crazy Crazy Nights. 
Are, are, are you yeah, the crazy, crazy nights guy or are you the sort of rock and roll over guy? Uh, well, I'm 52 and I saw Kiss in 77 with Cheap Trick on the day Elvis died. So I'm old school. I was in the army in 1976. I still have my kit. I still have my newsletters and my program when I saw them. So I'm, you know, I have no, I have to be the old, the old school. Cause that's, that's where it all came from. For me, I got Kiss alive in 75 and, and it was all over from then, but I, I moved along. I, I wasn't as heavily into them when Dynasty and Unmasked came out. I think it was probably around Creatures where I kind of like got pulled back in a little bit. I was always still a fan, but I, w- I loved Lick It Up. I loved Animalized. I was into Asylum. I, you know, I, I was not as heavy into them as I was maybe, you know, Rock and Roll Over and Love Gun. Uh, Crazy Nights, I did not get when it came out, but I, you know, I'm a pop song guy, so the song crazy nights I think is great. There's other songs on that album that I've, I've heard as of recently, cause Bruce Kulik's been doing his band with his brother and they played a couple songs and I'm like, what's that one? And I, and it was off of crazy nights and it's just a pop hooky tune. And of course, Ron Tevison, I mean, I could talk about that guy from UFO to, to the baby, some of the greatest stuff like ever. I mean, that guy's a phenomenal producer, but so yeah, I'm, really I'm at this point of my life. Oh, he's great. At this point with Kiss, I'm a fan of all of it, you know. Um, you know, I, I hold it, the the old stuff, the classic stuff. I hold closer to my heart and just my what I'm really into. But you know, I could I could put on all those records and and dig it. I I, I loved Sonic Boom. I loved Psycho Circus and, and Monster. I thought there were some strong songs on all those. All and right. it's Kiss. I I have I, I can't just drop a band that I loved loved so much as a kid and. You know, um, yeah. You see, that's that's there. a that's a great point because, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna rant here for a second, but I see a lot of fans, especially mm-hmm. online, and they've been picking on Ozzy, and they've been picking on Dawkins, and they've been picking on Kiss, and they've been picking, right? They they just seem to be picking on all these bands, and uh, I'm gonna compare it this way: you look at a football player, whether it's a Roger Starback or a Terry Bradshaw, or, or you know. And they give you maybe seven years of entertainment, maybe 10 years for some of the superstars. And then they disappear and you have this memory of, oh, remember back in the day when Terry Bradshaw and the Steve, and you just revere it. And then you look at a band like Kiss that has been around for 40 years, creating 40 Mm -hmm. years of memories, 40 years of music, Mm -hmm. 40 years of your life. And instead of saying thank you or, oh, that's so great, we go, ugh, look what they're doing. Yeah. And, I, and I don't get I it. I mean, isn't that awful what, what some fans do? Instead of saying thank you, it's like, whoa, they can't sing. Oh, they, oh shut up. Just right. be thankful yeah, that yeah. they gave you 40 I, years. I, yeah. I, I, I'm that way with it. There's a lot. I hear that with Aerosmith and ACDC and, you know. It's all just, of them. All of them. I, I, all of them. And I've bought all the, the those bands mentioned there. I've always bought all the records every time they come out. And they, there's still stuff on all those records I still love. And I loved when I heard it and I just love music. And, and, you know, I, I could sit down and, and put on kiss destroyer. I could put on, you know, uh, lick it up and I could put on toys in the attic. I can go put on pump and I could turn around and I can go put on Neil Sadaka and I love it. <laughs> like, right. Just, As you should. So all right. how I am. Uh, since we yeah. were talking so, about Ron you know. Nevison, let, let's go. Let's go. Uh, let's make you pick here. Uh, Kiss alive or strangers in the night? Uh, oh man, these, that's a that's hard as I mean, that's like 
That's, that's the one. ultimate pick. You know? That's the ultimate pick right there. I mean, I could throw in Scorpion's right. Tokyo tapes if we really want to get uh, nasty. Oh, I mean, yeah, of course. Of <laughs> course. Oh, yeah, that's, I mean, there's so many live ones you could put in. I mean, maybe for Kiss Alive, it's because, you know, it was the fir- it was really the first, it was the first Kiss record I got, and it was the first live record I got, and I think it's the fir- it, it would be the first record that exposed me to that energy. And I think that's a huge part of what got me into music, is that live energy, as much as maybe it's not as live as they say it is, but um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't it's matter. Awesome! It's a great, it's a great freaking record. It's it's so, great memories. I, I mean, I would go with Kiss Alive. You know, great memories for sure. So, so let me ask you about that. Uh, you know, seeing Kiss with Cheap Trick in '77, and yes, I'm completely and utterly jealous because I only saw them in '79. But um, mm-hmm. when you sort of picked up the instrument and you said you know, to the family, I'm going to go be a rock star, I'm going to go to Sunset Strip, or I'm going to go, uh, what was the reaction? What, was it one of support, or was it one of like, oh no, the, the hell you are? Um, you know, what was the sort of the, the, the family situation in terms of you wanting to be a musician? Uh, it was full supportive. I mean, you know, my dad took me to that Kiss show with two other friends of mine, and took me to my first show with those same friends, which was a day on the green, which was the Eagles, and Steve Miller, Hart, Atlantic Rhythm Section, and Foreigner. And then after that, I went to tons of shows, and, and it was my life and my friends and my neighborhood and school. That's what it was. It was, you know, mid to late 70s rolling into 80, and it was all about going to see shows and these big concerts. And uh, they were super supportive. They were supportive when I got into the music and really never flinched. They just, you know, if you love doing that, you know, especially when it got more professional and they saw stuff happening, it was like, wow, it's like, it's really something's kind of happening for the, for him, you know? So there was, it was super supportive. I never had to fight anything when it came to, uh, wanting to play music and everything. And, and yeah, so which I, I'm pretty lucky. How important is the live show to jet boy? Uh, I think a live show for all bands, especially, you know, with jet boy is, is huge, you know, to come across live with, uh, you know, to inspire and just like infect the crowd with just having a great time and just being in the moment of a fun rock and roll show is, is what it's all about. I mean, that's what I want when I go see a band where you just are in that moment and everything, everything else in your head is gone. And you're just in that moment of this band, just giving you everything you love about rock and roll. And just, you forget every other problem or whatever it may be in your life you don't want to think about and i think that's that's a total gift you know and if you're a band that can give that to other people that's huge yeah i i, I couldn't agree more uh let's remind the folks of course that uh, jet boy born to fly is out now it is absolutely spectacular it is it is a fun fun uh, what, what dirty rock and roll do we want to call it or just plain old rock and roll it's just it's just a fun record mm-hmm. i mean right yeah um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that all fits in it. It's dirty. It's rock and roll. It's fun. It's, it's you know, it's all that. Uh, Great. Yeah. So, uh, Billy, an absolute pleasure talking to you today. And uh, anything else you'd like to add before we uh, before we wrap it up? Yeah, that was great. I could go on for hours on all this stuff. Yeah, we could talk the kiss and, and stuff. But uh, I think importantly, we need to get Jet Boy up to Canada and we need to find you a bill with like Helix or Killer Dwarves or Honeymoon Suite. Yeah, and, and so exactly. you can you can you can play the show, but also then go in the audience and be the fan for a little bit. That would be uh, that would be oh, ideal. I would love that. that would yeah. Be- 
super into it. I, I'm also a big fan of the the newer generation rock, is Danko Jones. I think he's that band is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, so. I recently had a chance to interview Danko, so that's fun too. So yeah, just just a lot of great mm-hmm. stuff. And uh, there we go. And as we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. All right on. Thank you. Hopefully we'll uh, we'll get there. I know we'll get there eventually. That's the goal with this record is to get yeah. out there and hit as many stages as we can and, and just uh, play as much as possible and just get this band to another level that I think we should have been at a long time ago. But yeah. Better than late. Better late than never. Better late than never, and of course, you can tell Chuck to uh, to phone the Brass Monkey and the uh, Piranha Club in uh, Ottawa and Montreal and get you up here. He, he deals with them all the time, so let's get it done. Um, that sounds like a plan, and then we can go out to dinner and talk about all these insane rock bands that we love and all the deep geeky stuff that I can go on forever about too. <laughs> and then we can talk about all the stuff that we can't talk about. Uh, on air because you know there's secrets mm-hmm. got to keep those secrets to, yeah. to the to the inner circle uh there you right. go right uh there you go <laughs> thank you this is rock talk with mitch lafon mitch lafon on florida's space coast we think you can have the best of both worlds kind of like right now driving at your desk maybe at the gym But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com.